Just have a special announcement for my listeners. First of all, I want to say thank you so much for uh, listening. Started off as an experiment in August, but I've had about 2,000 listens of my podcast, and I'm so grateful. I have a special request uh, for my year-end episode 2020, which has been an incredibly interesting year. I plan to do an episode of listener feedback. So what I'd love for you to do is leave me a message, and the link is in the show note, about what you took away. What was one thing after listening to several episodes was the most impactful to you to help that helped you in some way, or was an insight you hadn't thought about before? If you can do that, then I will be sharing some of those insights. You can see that link in show notes. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. Francis Pan is a man of many cultures. He came to Vancouver from Hong Kong as a young child and went to a small private school in Chinatown uh, and then eventually graduated from the University of British Columbia with an engineering degree. He traveled from Canadian forest to forest, maintaining and installing equipment for sawmills, a very traditional old economy industry, working with his hands. Once he completed his MBA, though, he moved to Asia, first in Japan, then Singapore, and then Hong Kong. And over the last 20 years, he's had a front row seat on disruption. As a senior leader with the Hong Kong Science and Technology Park, he now has a role in the discovery of the next wave of innovation, the next wave of technology across a number of fields. In this interview, he shares his experience and insights from this unique perspective. Hey Francis, how are you doing? Shaquille, very good. How are you? Yeah, well, time great. To good to see you. It's it's uh it's late in the evening here in Ottawa. Where are you? Um, I'm in Hong Kong. Well, Francis, thank you. You are my uh, first official international guest. Uh, and so thank of you. course we 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 went to uh, Ivy together. We met at uh, uh, at Ivy in 1998. I feel like we might have met at the kind of mixer in Vancouver before we all went, you know, you, Tara, a few other people that we met together right. at that, uh, at that mixer. Um, I wanted to get a little bit into your kind of history before Ivy. And um, did you actually, uh, were you born in Canada? Or were you born elsewhere? I was actually born in Hong Kong. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, and in the, when I was five, uh, way before the immigration rush, uh, our parents um, took uh, my brother and I, and the four of us uh, came to Vancouver to join the, my aunt and uh, her son of the family. So a little bit of a uh, family reunion, so to speak, uh, with my grandparents as well. So we, uh, I basically grew up in Vancouver. So you grew up in Vancouver. So you came when you were five years old. I don't know what it was like for you. I, I came to Canada uh, younger than that. I was basically three. I do have memories of back home in East Africa. But I always felt like growing up that I was living in at least two different cultures. 
the culture at school and the culture at home. Did you have yes. that same experience? Um, yes, very much so. And I think, you know, you know we're, we're both in Vancouver, so you, you know the, uh, in the 70s and 80s, there's a lot of new newcomers coming in. Um, and there was actually a quite welcoming uh, mix, I think, uh, quite well. Uh, from my perspective, uh, I went to a very fond memories. I went to a very uh, humble uh, private school, my, ch uh, my church's school. We were um, uh, uh, Chinese Catholic, so to speak. And um, we had a, a small little school down in Chinatown. Okay. Um, very small class. I think uh, we graduated with a class of 16. The class before us was a class of eight. You know, you can see these uh, it's kind of little house on the prairie type of, yeah. type of <laughs> scenario. So at what point did, did you did you think that, uh, were you ever thinking that you'd go back to Southeast Asia, go back to Hong Kong, or was that ever a thought of yours as you were growing up? Yeah, so absolutely. And, and because, you know, in, in the 80s, as, as uh, all the immigrants are kind of coming, but we're there kind of more the uh, kind of the incumbent, so to speak, yeah. you got a lot of influence, right? Especially, uh, you know, in the media uh, and in the, uh, you know, the, the uh, products or I guess the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, so there was a big curiosity with that um, mm -hmm. because, you know, I was, you know, you can say uh, immigrated uh, little young uh, mm -hmm. to have that type of social influence. So there, obviously there's a big uh, curiosity. Okay. And so um, you went to uh, university in Vancouver, UBC, right? That's right. You're right. What did I you did study engineering at UBC? I did engineering. that mechanical engineering. Oh, okay. You're an engineer. You made a decision to go back to do your business degree. What were you doing in the years uh, prior to making that decision and what led you to decide to go back to business school? Yeah, so I've um, halfway through or maybe three quarters way through engineering. Um, you know, the material is always very interesting to me. I, I love the sciences as I grew up, wasn't very good at math, terrible at computers, um, but uh, you know, thought, hey, let's figure out how, you know, physically how things work, right? How things move around. I always had a curiosity that my dad was a ship uh, mechanic, so to speak. Uh, in the North Shore in Vancouver. He actually, before that, in the 60s, he traveled around the world on big ocean freighters wow. as, um, as an engineer down at the bottom of the, in, in the engine room. Um, uh, so and he showed us videos of that, or he had uh, actually videos wow. <laughs> back, in the, back in the day, it was a more super eight uh, film. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so, you know, we were, and he always fixed all the mechanics around the house. So that, do you think that sparked your that. interest? Did that spark your interest to uh, to become an engineer? I, um, it must have. It yeah. must have. Uh, you know, it's just just working around the house stuff like that. Um, and he still does it. He's you know eighty plus now in Vancouver, and he still mows the fixes the lawnmower. Um, you know, goes around the the yard three three times a week kind of thing. Halfway through around engineering, I just said, okay, this is this is interesting stuff. But uh, you know, how does the world really work in in uh -huh. terms of more, uh, you know, uh, not business for the sake of business, but how do things you know, kind of how do people work with each other and, and, and yeah. get things done, right? Yeah. Operations, things like that. And that's where I think I figured out, hey, an MBA is actually quite a common route. Right. Uh, and there's this a whole side of those things. Plus, uh, a lot of my friends in the university who actually was in the commerce department. Um, so, uh, but I, I still had a knack for engineering. Um, and uh, so I planned out and realized that, hey, there's a, you know, there's certain schools out there that are, are pretty good at this, at this craft, uh, but you have to work. Uh, you can't just go straight into it. You got to, and, and I've always had a working, uh, you know, kind of uh, background, uh, whether it's summer jobs or, or however, mm -hmm. and to kind of get into the, 
the, the, the, the nuts and bolts of things. Um, so I spent four years, um, two years in Canada. Uh, actually, you know, again, new adventures, left Vancouver, went to Prince George, uh, entered forestry, uh, had a, uh, a very uh, BC of, thing to do, very BC thing to do, work in Very BC, um, yeah, uh, but it was a very interesting role, because, and, and when I reflect back, a very um, lucky role in many ways. Uh, I was a lone service engineer. Uh, the office was out in Laval, Quebec. Uh, I had a, basically, they gave me a car, and I uh, worked with a salesman based out of Edmonton, and we basically did the circuit in Western Canada, um, uh, driving, you know, uh, days at a time to visit forestry mills and uh, and I would have to work graveyard shift oh. um, because uh, the, the, you can imagine the lumber mills are you know sort of uh, you know uh, the time is money uh, yeah. you're on the clock producing uh, and uh, to service the machine you have to shut it down and maintenance was always midnight plus so um, as we retrofitted our machinery which was an aftermarket product um, you know, it was very much graveyard shift, mm -hmm. design measurements, all that stuff was graveyard shift. Um, so yeah, so so did that for two years and, and you know, saw an awesome part of Canada, uh, met some fantastic people, uh, roomed with a um, uh, um, firefighter family okay. uh, in Prince George. Um, and, then, and then just said, okay, hold on. <laughs> I uh, um, had a, this you know, Asian upbringing or at least influence from Hong Kong, don't know much about it. Visited a few times during during engineering during the summers in engineering, uh, loved it. Saw a huge bloom of vibrancy. China was growing, uh, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, people, my friends who went back after graduation were doing extremely well in in the roles uh, in business. Um, what's that all about? Mm -hmm. right? And uh, pretty much um, did a 180 and uh, left that role in in Prince George. Uh, and uh, in a couple of months was in, you know, amongst a concrete jungle instead of, you know, big evergreens in concrete jungle in Hong Kong and uh, trying to, you know, make, make sense of it all um, as I was applying to, to Ivy eventually. Okay. So when you went to Hong Kong, did you have a job already lined up or? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. didn't. I, I did have some leads, okay. um, which people in Vancouver gave me very nice of them. Um, and, but it ended up, and, and it was bustling. So you could find, um, you know, I wasn't, you know, wasn't any manager or I was very much, you know, hitting the pavement kind of thing. Yeah. So it took some sales roles, uh, ended up taking a project management role, um, you know, really getting into a couple of industries. One was building services mm -hmm. uh, because of the huge amount of uh, properties, uh, you know, mm -hmm. really uh, skyscrapers here. So mm -hmm. we worked for carrier in, in the air conditioning business. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, in infrastructure development, worked for a infrastructure development firm called Hopewell mm -hmm. um, that was building a power plant in, in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. uh, and so got on some of that with the engineering type of uh, mindset, got, got into some uh, project work uh, just mm -hmm. before Ivy uh, came in. Francis, can you tell me, I mean, you were basically uh, came from Hong Kong as a child in Vancouver. You worked in Vancouver, you worked in Prince George, you were an engineer working with your hands in the woods, <laughs> I guess. And you decide to go back to Hong Kong where you came from. How did it feel? Did, it, did you fit in? Did, you, did it feel right to go back to Hong Kong? Did you feel comfortable or was it awkward? Great question, great question. It was reverse culture shock. Like I, I did not expect or, you know, uh, mm. by any means. Um, uh, you know, you thought you, you're growing up with that influence, you literally, we had friends who you know go back every year 
um, you know, that, that Trans-Pacific uh, route was very popular. Um, and, uh, but when you're in this situation and you're not, you're not a tourist anymore, you're not just spending money, you're not consuming, you actually got to make do of a situation that you're, you're literally your assumptions go out the door. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's tough. It's, it's so searching. It's, you know, digging deep. It's, you know, a little bit of um, ego as well, because you just got there. You can't, you know, you can't told, uh, you know, friends say, I got to, I'm going to try this out for myself. And, and uh, it, it was not, but, but um, Hong Kong is a very international place. Um, there is that connection that went reverse as well. We had, a, you know, so the UBC alumni uh, was family, yeah, right? Okay. A lot of, a lot of friends uh, who, like I said, who moved that earlier, we're, we're building out great activities for the alumni. And that was the network that gelled everybody that gave a common uh, commonality mm -hmm. um, against a you know, very different local scene that mm -hmm. really I had no idea about, even though, you know, you kind of, you know, look like everybody else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this, this, is what I remember. this is what I remember. I mean, because I was from Vancouver and I knew UBC, like UBC engineers had a certain way about them, right? Like it's probably like engineers in every university, but UBC engineers could conquer anything, right? Could, could solve anything. And there was maybe a bit of ego with being a UBC right. engineer. So you went from this place uh, and then you go back to Hong Kong thinking you were, you know, going to conquer it, but sure. you were hit in the face with a bit of a shock. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, um, you know, by nature, I, I you're uh, humble. You're a little humbler than, most. well, yeah, right. A little more cautious, I guess. <laughs> Once you've been burned quite a few times, Yeah. but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it, you know, you, there is a bit of, um, uh, curiosity plus courage plus, you know, stupidity, you can say, um, uh, and, and, you know, it's all good. Um, you just, but I think what you got to go in there with oil I learn now is, you know, it's always half full. Um, you know, I think some of the stuff you talk about with that growth mindset, yeah. um, you know, we didn't call it that back then, but that curiosity and that, yeah. uh, you know, that, that seek for opportunity, yeah. um, is, is very much here. It's a, yeah. it's a very entrepreneurial, um environment here if, if yeah. you look for it um yeah. and that's for everybody not just for yeah. locals or immigrants here but. well I'd, I'd love to talk more about what you're doing now in hong kong but before we go there so you're in hong kong and you found a way to make it work in hong kong but then you leave again <laughs> you leave right, again right, to go right. to go back to go to business school i got accepted as i was just landing in hong kong mm -hmm. uh, but uh, and you know, uh, smart on Ivy side, they said, "Look, you're not. Uh, we need you to work one more year. You're not not quite ready to come to our school. Okay. You just, you know." And then I said, oh, "Great, you know, I, I just got here. Um, thanks, thanks for accepting me. And now I can plan uh, ahead, um, you know, financially or otherwise to and, and get the best of hmm. what I can out of, out of being in Hong Kong." Right? So not them actually saying there. them actually saying no, not yet, was actually good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just got to Hong Kong and yeah. to switch back in a few months. It's, I don't think it uh, went the full distance. Yeah. yeah. Right. So then you, so you went back, you did your MBA. And so when you finished your MBA, um, was there a decision point about whether you stay in Canada to go back or what, what, how did that transpire? Yeah. You know what? Sometimes you just got to roll with it. Um, yeah. I, I, and, and this worked out very well for me. 
Um, and, uh, you know, what happened was I applied um, to an exchange program at Ivy. So, so something I really wanted to do while I was back in school. I didn't get to do that in the undergrad. And, you know, Ivy had a great exchange program. And I wanted to come back to Asia, go to Japan. Hmm. And uh, because I, didn't get, I couldn't afford it uh, when I was living here uh, previously uh, and heard great things about it. Um, a guy from uh, Dell came and did a talk. I uh, caught up with him, connected. Next thing you know, he had a headcount. Um, and by March 2000, um, I signed on. I signed on and just said, hey, let's give Japan a try. Yeah. Uh, and then by the time uh, we graduated, came back in June, the bubble burst um, and uh, the tech bubble burst, as you know, and I was lucky to have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within six months, uh, and I was working on Dell.com stuff, so it was very much you know front and center of oh. the bust. Um, and and uh, within six months, I was the uh, one person left in the in the department in in, Jap- in Japan. So, um, in Japan, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, various people, bunch of other various people left. But yeah, that was hugely, I think, you know, disruptive. Um, yeah. As you, you know, we leave Ivy thinking, you know, we can rule the world, right? Uh, yeah. At least, <laughs> at least yeah. I, uh, you know, I guess naively thought. Um, yeah. And uh, and what happened was that wasn't the case. But at the same time, um, I think the opportunities that you know present itself, uh, you know really you just got to take it on and, and uh, no matter how the external situation was yeah. um you know really dig deep and, and, and work it through and i think yeah. uh, i that yeah so then you ended up uh, i'm sure you had a no- number of different opportunities but then you ended up in hong kong what took you to hong kong yeah so um so long story short uh, i spent two years in japan yeah. uh, met my uh, uh wife now back then girlfriend uh, in Japan, okay. um, she was an expat in Japan from Hong Kong company, and then um, you know after her years, uh, a couple of years later, she she moved back. Um, I was looking for an opportunity to you know join her. It was a little tough. The, the travels weren't at uh, as convenience now. Uh, it's really hard to do long distance from uh, Japan to anywhere else. Really, mm-hmm. closest uh, opportunity I had well, to what I was doing was in Singapore. Um, so um, I was in Singapore for three years. Uh, she oh. was back in Hong Kong, and we did long distance for three years. As you know, we were engaged, married, and yeah. then had our first kid. Uh, first kid said, "Okay, that's you know that's enough of that," and uh, yeah. pretty much packed it up from Singapore, uh, and and then came back here. What was it like living in Singapore? I mean, you know, I, I've never been, but okay. I basically I remember the cases we did at business school. There was a case around of, on Singapore that we did, yes, and it basically described the country as being run like a company. Is that really the case? Quite honestly, I, I can't. I I couldn't really get into Singapore as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, half of the uh, the reason was half the time I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So uh, with Dell uh, in Singapore, I was working regionally, and half my time I was in in, in the factory in Penang. Uh, in Malaysia, and half the time I was in Xiamen in China, and then mm-hmm. really establishing the uh, the online operations, uh, or at least the online marketing for that. So, um, and then you know the rest of the time I was in uh, regional headquarters, so to speak, in in, in Singapore, uh, working with management. Um, so I never really got into it as much, but in terms of you know the uh, lifestyle, very easy, very very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the uh, you know everything you hear about you know the, how well people are taken care of the education system the medicals um, all that is is very true mm -hmm. um, things just work I guess uh, as someone with a Hong Kong background it is somewhat different mm. um, so and, and me not being there all the time you know I just mm -hmm. uh, we did have a discussion between my wife and I you know hey is Singapore the uh, place or Hong Kong's the place um, ended up you know family always win which it should I think and, and that was Hong Kong yeah um, but in terms of uh, my career like tech uh, regional tech or tech management tech um, kind of senior management it's definitely Singapore over Hong Kong in terms of the way uh, at least multinationals are set up mm -hmm. um, and you know that's that's it is what it is so yeah, um, you know you, you so tell me what you're doing right now in Hong Kong. What's what's the organization you're with? What what's your role? What are you doing? Yeah, sure. So thanks for that. Um, I'm with the Hong Kong Science and Technology Park, um, and it's very much a, a charged up ecosystem to do deep tech innovation uh, development and, and deployment uh, in Hong Kong, but really you know beyond Hong Kong and for Asia. And actually, we have partnerships uh, around the world. Um, I do. Uh, market development for our corporate uh, innovation program. Um, and uh, we work with uh, great partners around. We work with a lot of, I work with a lot of the Canadian uh, universities as well. So, you know, um, accelerators like Velocity hmm. uh, uh, in, in Waterloo, um, you know, hatched at uh, UBC, the whole creative destruction lab network. Um, what we do is we, uh, we have about 13,000 people uh, here in this ecosystem all really charged to do what we call translational uh, research or innovation mm. that comes from IP, uh, you know, from the universities, from academia, and really taking it into some kind of development for commercialization and employment. Mm. Um, and we focus really around, you know, AI, uh, robotics, uh, health tech, which is wow. uh, really getting a lot of good IP here uh, and, and a lot of financial opportunities as well in that global finance network. Um, uh, smart cities tech, because you know, us being a very um, uh, you know uh, urban urban jungle, yeah. um, and then of course uh, fintech. Um, so, so it's a, it's amazing uh, opportunity. I'm very uh, honored and privileged uh, because um, behind or with us uh, are these amazing entrepreneurs. Right? It's uh, yeah. uh, on tech entrepreneurism, like I said, uh, versus uh, my time in Singapore. Um, it's pretty much stacked up against you here really? um, because, you know, everything is so developed. Uh, you know, the, the industries are so developed. Um, you know, it's matured through the, you know, growth phases of the 70s and 80s, 90s, you know, emerging, uh, you know, really, really um, uh, accelerating the management practices and growing China, mm -hmm. uh, you know, especially just north of here. You know, a lot of that expertise was developed from, from you know, Hong Kong uh, management. Um, and so things are, are very well developed. And, you know, I, I guess about 20 years ago, uh, the government uh, and some business leaders said, okay, we, we got to, you know, get to the next stage of growth. Uh, and, and, you know, places like the science park was developed. Um, and, uh, you know, since then, it's, you know, really, I came uh, from an entrepreneurial spirit, really taking on in the tech side. Uh, because there, there is that heavy IP that you know, a lot of um, you know expertise that needs to be uh, first nurtured, and then you know you can take it into kind of innovation development. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, you know, so so it's it's hyper stimulating working with PhDs here. Um, you know, a lot of thought leaders 
a lot of people that uh, really uh, gave up uh, their careers in some ways or, or extended their careers from, you know, like I said, those set industries, seeing opportunity to, to you know, take, close the gap or what have you, and then, um, you know, really kind of find a way to develop it uh, with our infrastructure here. So you, uh, and you're, with our you're, um, you're around innovation, like all yes. the time. That's basically your world. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so it's it's kind of like the cutting edge. You talked about AI. You talked about <clears throat> clean tech. I guess there's uh, health tech, fintech. Uh, this is the stuff where everything's happening. And I'm just wondering that, given you know the fact that we're in pandemic and COVID, and there's been so much more attention on these new technologies. And the, I mean, these things were always there, but it seems like the attention on them is amplified. Yes. Do you see that as well on your side? Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, you know, there, the various ecosystems around here have um, uh, basically taken the opportunity or seized the opportunity to help. Um, and uh, ourselves, we've uh, collated about 30 plus solutions um, that we've shared with the community. Um, these are everything from nanotech, from coatings uh, to air filtration to, um, you know, more sanitization products that really is uh, helping out. And these gone international. Mm -hmm. um, which, which really, you know, kind of tells the Hong Kong story as well. Um, so yeah, definitely, um, we, like you said, things were already in development mm -hmm. and the uh, situation, unfortunately, um, really, you know, gave these, um, uh, I guess, exposed these opportunities and more exposure and an opportunity to, to go for it. Um, so yeah, and, and I, I think I see that in, in Canada as well um, mm -hmm. from, from our partnerships. And uh, I think everybody's trying to do their part. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, we've had some momentum um, you know, going and coming into this. Mm -hmm. So um, I know from going back and forth and preparing for this conversation that there's, this is actually a pretty big time in your annual cycle. Um, there's some competitions going on. Can you tell us a bit about, about what's going on right now or what's been going on? You bet, on? you bet. It's, it's never a dull moment here. Yeah. Uh, but yes, we are coming up on our annual flagship um, event, which is uh, before COVID, a physical elevator pitch something, you know, business schools would love, and we actually work with a lot of business schools. Uh, but basically, we used, when uh, we'll get back to it after COVID's, uh, you know, we kind of handle on it, is we have a 118-story building, our tallest building, the International Commerce Center in Hong Kong. Uh, and we take uh, basically 100-plus um, uh, entrepreneurs from around the world, and they get to pitch in the elevator over 60 seconds to um, to an investor, a VC, uh, um, you know, what have you, uh, sitting with them in this elevator uh, for this elevator rise in 60 seconds. And uh, yeah, they, we cycle through 100 plus of them over, you know, a day. Hang on, hang um, on. I got I to gotta really, I got to picture this. So it's yes. really an elevator pitch. So you've got a really yes. tall building with an elevator that takes 60 seconds to get from the bottom to the top. And you bring in a hundred uh, innovators from all over yes. the world, and yes. you basically say, "Go in the elevator." Yes. Your idea. If you sell the idea by the time you get to the top, you get money. Is that how it works? Yes. Wow. That's how it works. We have videos on YouTube. You can go check it out. It's called Epic E P I C Elevator Pitch uh, Competition. Uh, and uh, last year, Canadian well, Canadian's company have done quite well. Last year, in fact, um, uh, Eco Packers. Uh, who uh, comes from UT uh, did quite well. They they came up with one of the top prizes, and it's cash prize. Uh, this year, we're we've up our purse to uh, uh, two hundred grand US, yeah. uh, and the top uh, pitch gets hundred grand. 
Yeah. Okay. So now I want to ask you because the perspective you have, you you obviously see a lot of interesting ideas. What what are the characteristics of of the of the innovators that actually win? That actually are successful getting the 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 funding when they get to the top of the elevator. What are some sure, of the characteristics? Sure. Well, I think you got to really be able to present yourself in a very, you know, concrete and concise and, and valuable way. Uh, now, that's you know, a no kidding comment, but yeah. uh, I think the um, the other thing is we do look for because we're a science park. Um, we we do look for tech innovations, um, so it's something that has um, you can say uh, longevity or or really uh, um, a disruptive nature okay. uh, to you know certain uh, pain points. Or challenges that we're, we see that, you know, definitely that, you know, we can take in Hong Kong for the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's some of the basic criteria, but you get some amazing, and it's not just, um, you know, set, like the one I talked about, the Canadian company had it, uh, very much uh, uh, on its way to develop that uh, solution. Mm-hmm. But we take early stage ideas as well, um, and you never know what comes through. It's amazing. So it's brilliant. So you're basically scanning the world to find the most innovative ideas anywhere in the world, to bring them to Hong Kong, to get investment in Hong Kong, to bring them to life, to make them successful, to take them back out into the world. So you're basically intellectual importers. You know what? And that's what Hong Kong is. Hong Kong's always been a trading port, right? Whether it's you know, when it was founded, you know, on, on textiles, toys, yeah. electronics, right? That's the whole evolution of, yeah. of uh, you know, Hong Kong, right? Yeah. And, that, and, and then it was, you know, property tech, um, you know, uh, global finance. And now we're, you know, really want to take that same spirit, that same energy, that same resources, uh, infrastructure and direct it, or we have already directed to innovation. Hmm. Um, and you know, or, or take products, solution, tech solutions, or innovation. Um, and and the, I guess the even bigger opportunity now is that Hong Kong is, you know, in in economically um, very early stages still, but part of this, um, you know, what we call Greater Bay Area, mm-hmm. um, this uh, super cluster of uh, you know cities mm-hmm. um, that is double the size of Canada in terms of population, right? Seventy wow. million people. Um, and so far with the manufacturing centers north of here, um, with other, you know, tech development areas, infrastructure, it's, it's got a GDP that rivals uh, Tokyo Bay, which is the largest city cluster uh, economic zone in the world right now. Right? Wow. Um, so, and that's just starting because the, the, way I, the way I say it's starting is because there is so much, um, uh, I guess, uh, output that still needs to be uh, seized from a you know kind of GDP per capita perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just north of our here mm-hmm. or in here, but here we we definitely can you know see how we can turn the direction a bit more and give that you know kind of give it a, a little push along the way or mm-hmm. push it bigger along the way. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's I can see why you're there. That sounds pretty pretty exciting. You're on the cusp, and you're witnessing you're witnessing disruption from its kind of earliest kernel stage to it actually happening. That's where you are right now. Uh, yes, and, and um, thank you for that. I mean, it's, it's uh, that's, you know, you and me looking at it from a growth mindset perspective, it is challenging along the way. Yeah. Uh, it's never a dull day yeah. uh, because when you're, when you're at the beginning of the curve, um, you know, you don't know how it's going to ramp up. 
Yeah. Uh, and you don't know how it's ramped up because you know uh, everybody's an expert, right? Everybody uh, has uh, is so passionate about it, um, and they want to see it, you know, go a certain way. And that formation before you take that steep ramp up the S curve, um, you know, takes 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 um, uh, things to line up, and a lot of the times, you know, uh, it's not in your control. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there's multiple partners, multiple situations, multiple things. COVID <laughs> yeah. that comes knocking on the door. Right. And, and uh, you just got to, you know, have the wherewithal to navigate with that. Right. Yeah. Or, or yeah. through it. So, you know, I, I, as we bring our conversation to a close here, given what you were seeing in this heart of innovation, um, do you have a sense of what you think are the really important leadership traits, leadership behaviors that are going to be critical in the next 10, 15 years, um, particularly from an innovation standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, from a leadership perspective is to, uh, I think the first thing is to, to never give up. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're the entrepreneur or you know, a, a, a body like us that uh, you know, is promoting entrepreneurism, um, you can't give up. You, you mm-hmm. gotta, you know, see the uh, uh, forest through the trees, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, it's easy for me to say, but it's actually very tough, especially when you know there's there's uh, real financial, uh, mm-hmm. you know, situations that people have to navigate, um, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, because our entrepreneurs actually, you know, as you develop deeper tech, entrepreneurs are people who like they're not uh, fresh grads. Um, a lot of them are well experienced. Um, you know, senior leadership uh, in mm-hmm. corporations that, you know, found, finding, you know, new passion in certain ways, mm-hmm. um, you know, tech uh, fellow engineers, you know, who have lots of experience. So they, they have, you know, everybody's got family and things like that to work with it as well. Right, right. So never give up is one. Um, I think the other one is you got to be able to communicate very well in your, um, what you're trying to bring to the market, what, what you're trying to do. Um, and communication is not just about, you know, uh, uh, one way talking, but really able to sense the environment, sense mm-hmm. the opportunity, um, and um, you know, really, really get to know you know, know where the know where your luck can happen. Put yourself in the path of luck is 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 I guess something I I try still trying to figure out how to do. Yeah. But because <laughs> so much ex- external externality that uh, affects things that in that early stage, you really got to have a pulse on the ground. Um, yeah. get, that, get that pulse yeah so you're, then, adding, then, you're adding a dimension to communication which is not something we typically talk about we typically talk about you know verbal communication written communication presenting in front of a room you're talking right. about something that's even different now it's a kind of communication that's sensing picking up on signals in the environment in the people that you're dealing with and yep. using those signals to actually make decisions yep yeah, and, and like CSC, it's like an extrasensory well, kind of perception. I think it's I think it's that everything you know. There's a lot of talk about empathy, deep empathy, all that stuff. Uh, that's all coming to play. I think you know because when you're communicating, it's not it's beyond that elevator pitch now, right? You, right. It, you got a lot more than sixty seconds, and so you. I think a lot of time is you spend more time actually sensing, listening, and absorbing, and, and finding out before you know you can you know kind of spunk get on stage with that financier, with that partner, with that, whatever, to, to make that, um, you know, uh, proposition or to connect the dots. That's, a, there's a lot of preparation 
uh, that needs to happen. I mean, some people do it quite well, quite talented. Um, they naturally have a need to connect the dots. Mm -hmm. um, other people are very, you know, uh, I guess um, in, in a lot of cases, what we see here is very passionate about their IP, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're focused they're, on the evolution. idea. They're focused yeah, on the idea, not necessarily the application. Uh, or, or even if they do have the application, it's, it's, this is going to save the world, right? right? Well, it, it, it won't tell you until you can work with others to, to help right. you along that path, right? right? Because, because we're talking things, even though, you know, things aren't as, uh, I, I, I see the, I still see things very global. Yeah. Uh, even though, you know, politically or the media doesn't, <laughs> it's kind of got a little local, um, uh, you know, you can, you can take solutions and, you know, really affect places more than just your, within your local vicinity. Right. So um, that ability to uh, really broaden that horizon is there, right. but you got to be able to have that multicultural empathy you say and, and we're not talking just social culture we're talking you know tech culture we're talking economic culture you know all these different um uh influences that you gotta right. kind of figure out as you you know go to market wow i mean that sounds pretty complicated but in essence what i'm i'm hearing you say is that you have people who have a great idea but the idea and even you know having the idea fully worked out and technically sound is not enough to really be successful. You need the idea, you need it all technically sound, and then you need these superpowers, which are all around empathy, connection, reading signals, understanding economies, understanding pockets, understanding yep. different cultures around the world. Uh, and so do you think, do you feel confident? Do you feel that there are people out there that will rise to that challenge and and we will see the innovation come to market. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and and we do. I think I think the um, uh, it's a it's a it's a being better versus being best mm. um, uh, mindset, right? Because as as long as you're thinking you're trying to be better every day, uh, you try to figure out that now you'll you'll see how to improve it, and you'll work. Right. And, and as long as you put that to practice, you always get good. At least what I've seen whether it's here, whether it's Canada, whether it's Singapore, or Japan, you know, people who ever put their mind to practice at something uh, and you keep plugging away at it, mm -hmm. you get good, right? That, and I think that's probably the best thing to put yourself in that path of luck. Yeah. Um, and, and whereas when you're trying to be best, you're, you're not going up against yourself. You're going up against some external um, predetermined by someone else's values and, and, and goals. Um, and yes, you might hit it or you might be the best, but then, you know, I think your best doesn't come out, uh, by looking at another external, um, a benchmark or a, a, uh, a target. I think but Francis, um, can I, can I see if I'm getting it by seeing it another way? Is it something like, uh, if you view success as a destination, you will never achieve it. But if you view success as a series of connected activities from day to day, that's when you start actually being successful. Is believing that you'll actually never get there, but it's steps you take every single day to be better than you were the day before. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. I that's, I think that's that. a pretty wise words to, uh, to finish off on. Uh, Francis, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, where should they look? 
Um, they can come to uh, our website, Hong Kong, uh, uh, sorry, www.hkstp.org, right? H-K-S-T-P. Or they can reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Right. Uh, happy to connect with our classmates uh, or people on your podcast. Um, yeah, Francis uh, P.U.N. Hey, Francis, thank you for spending the time with me. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not going to be able to go to sleep now. It's late here, but you got me so excited about this elevator ride. Uh, that I'll be dreaming about it. But thank you so much. Have a have a great day and uh, look forward to talking to you again. Shaquille, thank you very much. It's been fantastic talking to you. Have a good day. Well, that conversation was worth staying up late for. I enjoyed talking to Francis in Hong Kong. A few things I took away from that interview. The first was how he expected to be able to be successful in Hong Kong because despite growing up in Canada, he grew up with a Chinese culture around him. And he had friends from Hong Kong. And so he thought he'd go back to Hong Kong and he'd knock it out of the park right away because he knew the culture. He realized pretty quickly that he didn't know enough. And he got his experiences, he got curious, and he just rolled up his sleeves and got into the culture. And it made me think about how many times I go into a new experience thinking that I know what needs to be done and how often you realize that you actually didn't know enough. He also talked about the importance in tenacity and perseverance for entrepreneurs and innovators in the future, that as times get more challenging, there's going to be a premium for individuals, uh, creative thinkers that have the tenacity to test, to learn, to fail, to get up and try again. I think it's always been important, but he's saying it's even more important in the future. He talked about this extrasensory capability that will be important in the future. That is not just relying on the communication that you can see and hear, but it's like communications that you can sense, uh, picking up signals from the market, the economy, from consumers, from other people, and trying to use that information to make your ideas better and to increase the likelihood of success. And the last thing he talked about I thought was really interesting was this pursuit of being better and not the pursuit of being best. To focus on your own ability to be better than you were the day before, as opposed to being the best person in a market or in an industry. That being better will actually get you further than trying to be the best. Hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, or share it. I want to say thank you to one of my favorite bands, Late Night Conversations, for sharing their song Chaos with me and letting me use it in this episode. You can learn more about them on Instagram at LNC Connected. And here's more of their song Chaos to take you out.